Praise God. Philippians, Philippians chapter 2 and, and um, verse number 2. If you would stand in honor of God's word as we read the word of God. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 2. The Bible says, fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Everyone say, one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Okay, that, that doesn't mean you become a busybody and, and mind other people's business. It's talking about esteeming your brother higher than yourself. That doesn't mean to put yourself down. It means to lift others up. Amen. Um, and then it says in verse number 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay, this is what we have to do. This is our job. Our responsibility is to let the mind of Christ be in us. You've got to have the same mindset as God. Uh, Romans chapter 12, very quickly. Uh, actually, let's just read Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, verse number 33. As it is written, Romans 9 and 33. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Amen. We are continuing our series on the mind of Christ. And over the last several weeks, we've focused on about the thoughts, our thought life, and how it has huge implications. The Bible says to keep your heart or your mind because out of it are the issues of life. Amen. The mind is the scene of the crime. Uh, we are defeated or we are victorious first in our minds and our hearts. And we looked already at uh, defeating uh, um, depression. We looked at dealing with doubt and, and unforgiveness. Today I want to talk to you about breaking the power of guilt and shame. Breaking the power of guilt and shame. Next week we'll be, our, our last, uh, I'll be closing up this sermon series in the mind of Christ. Uh, but I want to talk to you about this thought today. So would you pray with us one more time? I uh, want to pray for Sister Sharon's stepdad who is in hospital, who is in a critical condition, and he needs a miracle. We also want to pray for Sister Letitia's father, Brother Du, um, that God would continue to bring healing to him. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you to, today, Lord, that you would, oh God, out of your mercy and grace, touch uh, Roy, Lord, Sister Sharon's stepfather, that you would touch him, and Lord, perform a miracle today. Lord God, I pray. Lord God, the doctors have given him very little hope. But Lord Jesus, our hope rests in you, and you are still able to perform miracles. So today we ask you for your divine intervention in that situation and heal and raise this man in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we take authority over that situation, over that sickness. For Brother Do right now, we ask you to heal him, recover him, Lord God, continue to bring your miracle working power to bear upon his body, upon his life, in the name of Jesus right now. And others, Lord God, that are ill, that are sick, we ask you to visit with them and be, Lord God, the great physician in their life to recover them. For your glory we pray. 
Lord, for your ministry of your word, anoint your servant and your people this day. We are in awe of your word. We ask you just to have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for standing. Amen. We have been looking into the mind of Christ because we believe it is of crucial importance to realize the importance and, and the need for us to, to change and to develop in our minds and our thoughts. Uh, the mind is not contrary to the spirit. It is, the mind is not against spiritual things. In fact, God created our minds to be able to uh, think his thoughts. And, and it is interesting to understand, if, if you are new to Christianity, you will soon discover that even though we are saved and we are born again, uh, we have been uh, washed by the blood of Jesus through repentance and baptism in Jesus' name. And we are even filled with his Holy Spirit, supernatural infilling of the Holy Ghost to where there's evidence of speaking in other tongues as the initial sign. Uh, yet, somehow, uh, we can walk away from a powerful church service like this week in and week out and, and live life that we continue to seem like we, we're walking in circles. It seems like we continue to struggle and we continue to fight the same things and we struggle and we fall and fail in the same issues time and again. And that is simply because uh, even though when we're saved, we are washed and we are uh, accepted, we are complete as far as the scripture is concerned, yet our minds, are, our, our brains are not washed as it were. It's not cleansed. Our soul might be cleansed, but our brains still need to grow. Our minds still need to develop. And that's why we've been looking in this series uh, about uh, negative thinking or what we say stinking thinking. We've looked at ways uh, of how we, we think in the wrong way, how we think in a dysfunctional and a broken manner. And we, through the Word of God, begin to correct that and we begin to change. Our thinking changes, our thought life changes, and, and it is of crucial importance because the Bible says, uh, as he thinketh, as a man thinks or woman thinks in his or her heart, that's who they are. Amen. You are never greater than what your thoughts about yourself are. And the Bible also says, as I said already, out of the heart or the mind, keep your heart or mind, because out of it are the issues of life. Amen. And how many times have we seen that, that you could have everything going well on the external aspects of your life, and yet internally you could have a negative mindset, you could have a defeatist or depressed thinking or thought life that will bring you down. Amen. I want to remind you that, that you are where you are today because your thoughts have led you to this point. And you will be where you will be tomorrow because your thoughts will bring you to that point. So it is crucial for us to understand that we've got to get the right thinking. That we've got to get our minds to catch up with our spirits. That we've got to get our thought life in alignment with God's word so that we are thinking correctly. Because the Bible says you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. Amen. You've got to understand something here today. 
that you can literally change your destiny. You can change, amen, where you're going to end up in life and the condition and disposition of your walk with God by the simple act of changing your thoughts. Amen. Paul reminded us here today in his word. He says the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal or physical, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What are strongholds? And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, casting down imaginations and taking into captivity every thought. What Paul is saying, the battle for the Christian, you're not fighting flesh and blood. You're not fighting even demons. Amen. You are fighting the thoughts and the strongholds in your mind. And if you can learn to discipline yourself and begin to conquer these things and begin to apply God's word in your thought life, I promise you your life will take a different direction. You'll take a different trajectory in your life and you'll begin to walk and think according to his word. Tryon Edwards says, thoughts lead on to purposes. Purposes go forth in action. Action form habits. Habits decide character, and character fixes our destiny. Can I tell you, you can miss out on your destiny because of your thinking is incorrect. It's inaccurate. You can miss out on the promises of God upon your life because you simply haven't gotten your mind, amen, in alignment to God's word. Amen. Salvation is instantaneous. It is a state where you are born, but yet your mind still has to transform. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12 to be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We have, uh, as average, they say that people think 50,000 thoughts a day. That's a lot of thoughts. What kind of thoughts are, thinking, are you thinking in your mind throughout the day? So often we find ourselves depressed, defeated, filled with bitterness and envy, unforgiveness, because we believe an idea that is not grounded in truth. I heard about this. Uh, it's interesting that NASA's side rocket boosters, you ever see those uh, uh, space shuttles and they have a rocket that takes them up into space and then they have these side boosters that, that when it goes up and all the, the, the fuel is spent on those side boosters, they come off the rocket and, and they fall out into, into space becomes space junk, space debris. Well, these side rocket boosters were manufactured in another part of the country in the United States. And the NASA had to consider how they would transport them to where it would be launched. And so the side rocket boosters would have to be limited in size because they could only transport it on a train. And so the size of the rocket side rocket boosters was determined at four feet in imperial measurement, at four feet, eight and a half inches, determined and dictated to by the size of the train that it could, that could transport it. So uh, then the question asked, and so the, the NASA was researching, they wondered, where does the width of the rail come from? Well, the, rail, the width of the rail came from train builders uh, who had come all the way from England initially in the, to, to the United States and built the railroad system and so they ask, well, where, where, 
what did they, where did they get those measurements from? Well, they got the measurements from the trains in England. England, they determined the size and the width of the rail. And so then they asked, well, how did they decide and determine the width of the rail? Well, they decided the width of the rail by the size of the trolley that was right. And so they, they, they again research, how did they determine the size of the trolley? Well, the guys who created the trolleys were the same guys who created the buggies for the horses, the carts and the buggies for the horses. They were the same makers, so they used the same jigs. They used the same tools and measurement to create the width of the, of the, the carts to, to also determine the width of the trolleys. And so they then began to ask, well, how did they determine the width of the cart and the buggies? Well, the answer they found was they had to go back to ancient Rome. In ancient Rome, they found that the width of the chariots that the horses pulled were four feet, eight and a half inches. And so they asked, well, well how did they determine the width of the chariots? And so they came to discover that the width of the chariots were the width of the size of two horses hinds ends four, <laughs> four feet and eight and a half inches with the size of two horses rear ends that's how they determine so if you look at it NASA's space program was limited by ancient Rome's size of two horses rear ends I have no idea why I said all that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you see, every sin has an origin. Everything has an origin. And every sin has an origin. Amen. And I want you to know that this negative emotion and negative feeling called guilt and shame, it has a source. It has an origin. It is from the lies of the devil. I want you to understand that every shame and every guilt that we carry, amen, it comes from the lie that is perpetrated by Satan himself, who the Bible says is the father of lies. But I've come to break some lies here today day I've come to burst some lies from the devil and remind you that you are set free by the truth of God's word and we don't have to be held hostage by the guilt and by the shame amen that sometimes we struggle with I've come to help somebody here this morning and remind you that God has set you free that God has paid the price by giving up Jesus Christ upon the cross by shedding his blood that we might be set free from the guilt and the shame that plagues our souls. Oh, I wish I had more help in here this morning. How many of you know what it's like to have your guilt dealt with? How many of you know what it's like to be set free from the guilt that once ravaged your soul? I want you to know that God has a remedy for your heart. You don't have to remain in the same place and held hostage. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You got to understand that there are two types of guilt. There's a negative or a bad guilt, and there's a good guilt. There's a negative guilt called condemnation. Condemnation, very simply, is to be found guilty and be sentenced to death. Amen. And without Christ, 
Amen. Life looks bleak. Without him and what he did for us, how he gave of himself for us, we are condemned. But the Bible tells us that there is therefore now no condemnation, amen, to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Come on, I've come to tell somebody you don't have to be bound by condemnation, but you can receive the forgiveness of your sins. You can have your guilt removed. Oh, and what joy it is. How many of you can testify and remember that moment? You heard the gospel. You repented of your sins and you stepped into the waters of baptism. And when you come up out of the water, the Bible says your sins, every sin that you've ever committed, he takes it and he puts it into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered. And when God looks at you, you are clean. You are pure. You are holy. Oh, that might not excite a lot of you, but can I tell you, i got a whole lot of sins, amen, that had me bound, that had me captive, but the power of his blood, it meant that it removed the strength and the power of that guilt, of that sin. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That's condemnation. God didn't come to condemn you because he gave his only begotten son, the Bible says. So that we might be set free. But he does bring conviction. Conviction is like guilt. But it's with the purpose of drawing you unto him to repentance. And to be reconciled to your savior. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 the Bible says. For godly sorrow produces repentance. Leading to salvation. Not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. There's a different kind of sorrow. But the sorrow of God brings us when you hear the voice of God. Just like they did on the day of Pentecost. When Peter began to preach to them. The Bible says in verse 37 that they were pricked in their heart. Something smote them on the inside of them. It's called conviction. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? In other words, how can I remedy this guilt that I have been found? of and Peter said to them in verse number 38 repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost can I tell you that Peter did not mince words he didn't tell them to do some complicated venture but he simply said repent of your sins be baptized and wash away your sins Hallelujah. Guilt is debilitating. You see the very origin of the story. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, everything was perfect. You remember the story. God said you can have every, every, the fruit of every tree in the garden except for one tree. So you can have every fruit, every fruit from every tree. I mean, you, you think about it. If it's a garden, it's going to be full of trees. And the Garden of Eden would have been the size of a small country. If you read the, the, the description of the garden, it had four rivers running through it. Two of the rivers are still in existence today in modern-day Iraq. Amen. Where Sister Gina was born. And there's two rivers that are no longer in existence, but they have satellite imaging to affirm that there are tributaries that, that once 
ram. And so if you look at the size of that, it would have been the size of a small country. So God says, you can have, he told Adam and Eve, you can have every a fruit from every tree of the garden. He didn't make it like 50% of the tree you can, you can have, and the other 50% you can't. It was just one tree. And, and I'm, I often used to think, we did this Bible study, I often think, well, God, why did you even put that one tree there? It's like that place in New Zealand, you know, One Tree Hill. It's, I think they cut the tree down. Is that Brother Connie? They, why even put it there? Well, I, I'm digressing a little bit. But he put the tree there because if there was no tree, no option, then there would be no choice. And if there was no choice, then we would truly not, we would not be human because we would not have the ability to choose God. And love is a choice. Amen. You, you can't make somebody love you. There's an, old, there's an old ballad song, I can't make you love me. There's, you, you can't make anybody love you. Amen. It's a choice. You have to choose to love. And God says, I'm not creating robots. I'm not creating animals, you know, who are just following their instincts. But I'm creating something special and valuable to where I've given them the gift of choice. You can choose to follow me or you can choose to walk away from me. This is the greatest gift today, brothers and sisters, that God has gifted to humanity is that you can choose you don't have to be here today, but you chose to be here. Why? Because there's something in you, deep down in your spirit that says, I love you, God. I love you, Lord. And I want to walk with you. I want to follow you. But it's, he didn't make it hard. If, you have, if, you have, if it was like the size of New South Wales, for example, the garden, the, the greatest state in the world, the premier state, Including tonight. <laughs> he could have had, there was a tree, that every, every meter there would have been a couple of trees. Or, you know, he didn't make, like he could have easily said, okay, one tree, you know, you can have the other tree. Like he could have made one tree like Sister Samantha Durian or something. Sister, Sister Taylor tried some durian the other day. I don't know if you ever had durian. It's this, this uh, Asian fruit. It's called the heaven and hell fruit. Because... Apparently, it tastes like heaven, but it smells like. He didn't make a 50 50, he was just one. And the Bible says they had to go, and somehow they find themselves by the tree of all places. They find themselves at the forbidden tree. Isn't that just human nature? That we find ourselves always at the precipice. We always love to test the boundaries. You know, like your kid, you, know, you tell them don't touch that. And they're kind of like, oh, really? Because the law says you can't beat me anymore. <laughs> Who teaches kids to do that? Nobody. It's human nature that we find ourselves flirting with what we can't have. Flirting with what's forbidden and dangerous to us. And, of course, they find themselves of all the trees. We don't know what it was. I, I wish God had made it into a Dorian tree because then maybe they wouldn't have sinned, right? <laughs> or, or perhaps, yeah, I mean, you know, some, some assume nobody knows what everyone thinks is an apple. It's not. It doesn't say what the fruit is. Most, the, the most likely scenario is it was probably a fig because they sowed fig leaves to themselves. It might have been figs. I personally thought it might have been a mango because that's my favorite fruit. 
But if it were Filipinos or Fijians, they said we would never sin because they would have eaten the snake, right? And not, not the fruit. I think there's some truth to that. Snake tastes pretty good. But you know the story. So, you know, Satan tempts them. Now, now here's a little tip for you, okay? If, if you see a snake start talking, just leave. Just you know it's not going to be good, okay? But here's a talking snake. The Bible tells us it's Satan. And tempts them, and they take of the, partake of the fruit, and what does Adam and Eve do? They run and they hide from God. They hide somewhere because the Bible says they were afraid. They were guilty because now they've taken of the fruit of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They now have conscience. And conscience is the function of your soul that brings guilt to conviction, of conviction for you to get yourself right. And so they, they, they run away because they are guilty. And God comes, as he always does in the cool of the day, to fellowship with man. I mean, can you imagine just how beautiful that would have been, the presence of the Lord? And, and they were already naked, but they didn't know it. Jews believe uh, Jews believe that they, their, their, their body parts was covered by light. That was their clothing. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's kind of what they, they believe to a certain extent. Uh, but God comes in the cool of the day, and, and Adam and Eve are not there. And God calls out to them, says, Adam, where are you? And of course, did God know where Adam was? Yes, of course. I, I, I don't know if it's necessary because the bushes were shaking. You know, the, they were scared where they were hiding. But God calls out to them. And he knows exactly where they are. But notice how God works. This is how God operates in our lives. He, he could have easily just come down to that bush and yanked them out of that bush, pulled them by the ears and said, you, you dirty scoundrel, I, I've seen what you did. You come over here. God didn't do any of that. Even though he knew exactly what took place, he knew exactly where they were. He didn't come down and kick the apple out of their hand. It wasn't an apple. It was a fruit. The figs out of the, whatever the fruit was. He didn't kick that out of their hand and he knew exactly where they were, but he did not chase them down he didn't knock down the door he didn't scare the living daylights out of him but he comes calling with a simple question he says Adam where are you can I tell you God still speaks in the same way to his people amen every time amen you hear a voice asking you a question what are you doing my daughter what are you doing my son where are you in relationship to me where are you in, in, in proportion amen in, in, in your place with my relationship with you can I tell you it is none other than the voice of God it's not a loud voice it's not a shout that's speaking to you like you're hearing me right now but it's always a still small voice speaking into your conscience calling you bringing you into relationship back to him he's God so Adam and Eve said we were we were afraid, and he said, who told you you were afraid? And you notice what Adam says, well, you know, the woman that you gave me. <laughs> See, already he becomes a master at, at passing the buck, at pushing responsibility. Hey, the woman you gave me. He, he became a master because he blamed two people at once. He says, the woman and you. <laughs> so husbands, <laughs> be careful of that tact. 
Well, God, you gave me this woman. You gave me this job. You gave me. No. He was already in sin. He was already dysfunctional in his approach. So, of course, we know the story. God spoke to him, cursed man and woman the earth and the bible says that they they sowed fig leaves among themselves and this is what else we do when we're guilty is we hide and we try to compensate and guilt is debilitating it has been well documented of how guilt and shame can not only affect your emotional state but it can affect your physical state it has the ability to affect you physically to make a person sick I, like often like you see when those those police shows you know those real life police shows you see a guy who uh, a perpetrator he's been arrested he's been put in inter interrogation room and, and he might have been carrying the guilt of his crime for years and when he finally confesses you can see in some of those that he it's literally you could see a release from his body the tension and the weight of carrying the guilt of his crime has just affected him so much that when he confesses it he's released from that and it's like even though he's going to jail for the rest of his life there's a sense of relief why because guilt is debilitating it has the ability and the power to hold you hostage amen to keep you unhappy and depressed and even affect your physical health it can make you even sick but hear me today we have a remedy we have the a God who's willing to take us he says I already know your guilt I already know what your sin you've made you've made all you've got to do is confess and repent of your sins and receive my forgiveness forgiveness amen if you've not been baptized you got to do it to get away rid of your sins but if you have been baptized you can repent and confess and God the Bible says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive you of every sin hallelujah it doesn't matter how bad it is it doesn't matter how dark your life was how ugly your sin is i want you to know that god can forgive you of every sin that you've ever committed and when he takes your sin the bible says he takes our sins as far as the east is from the west that's how far he'll separate your sin from your life hallelujah he puts it in the sea of forgetfulness. And I know most of you already know this. This is fundamental. But you got to understand again the power of having your sins removed. Of being holy and pure. You've got to get a revelation of just how awesome it is that God has cleansed us. And he doesn't hold us guilty. Why? Because we still do. We still look in the mirror and we put guilt. And we harbor guilt. I shouldn't have done that. I want you to know if, you, if God has forgiven you, you have no right to withhold forgiveness for yourself if he's forgiven you you not only forgive yourself but you got to forgive other people the Bible says he takes our sins he puts it in the sea of forgetfulness it puts a sign that says no fishing he doesn't really say that in the Bible but I think that's that's very good because we have a tendency every now and then get get out that fishing rod last year <laughs> there it is subconsciously we are held hostage by our guilt but here's the difference between guilt and shame guilt says I did something bad but shame says 
I am bad. Guilt is a negative feeling for something that we did. Shame is internalizing that negative that we did and pointing it to ourselves. This is why this is so important, is because we identify ourselves. We all have a self-concept. We all have these thoughts that go through our minds every day, and we struggle with things. And, and sometimes we struggle to want to go into a crowd. We struggle to go into the office because we don't know if she's going to like us. And we can continue to struggle with these thoughts in our minds and in our hearts because we are shaped by our self-concept. And so for too long, we have harbored shame that we are no good, that we are losers. And maybe it's because of the, the way that you were brought up. Maybe it's a dysfunction in your home. Maybe it's circumstances of life. The words that, that your, your authority figures spoke into your life that told you you're no good, you're hopeless. And we internalized their words and it formulated the way we see ourselves. And we walk in shame. And shame gives birth amen shame gives rise to all kinds of personal maladies in our lives of depression and defeat and envy and pride and arrogance all of these things are rooted out of a shame that sits at the core of who we are amen the reason why sometimes people are so driven to overachieve is because they want to compensate for the shame that they feel in their hearts they feel like they've got to validate themselves they feel like they've got to have some significance and so they push and they strive and they fight to try and validate themselves but I want to remind you today that God accepts us not for our performance amen but for who we are I want to remind you today, you might fail, but that's not who you are. You are not a failure. You, you might make mistakes, but you are not defined by your mistakes. You are defined by your creator. You are defined by the God who created you, who called you, and said, even when you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. And so you've got to get this in your spirit. You've got to get it in your mind, amen, that I am not who they said I was. I am not defined by my mistakes but I am a child of God I am a son and daughter of the most high God I am an overcomer I am more than conquerors I can do all things through Christ hallelujah hallelujah and the reason i'm preaching maybe you've conquered it but can i tell you so many christians can enter into the presence of god and walk away still defeated walk away still thinking that they're not good enough pushing and, and prodding trying to make themselves important and significant let me tell you you don't have to do anything but you are already accepted by your father he said you are accepted you're approved you're loved you are special And we carry shame. Shame is so powerful. It, it can affect us. And, and here's how we break the power of guilt and shame. is by bringing it to light. I, I love what Dr. Brene Brown says. She says, well, we, we've got to talk about it. You've got to expose it to the light. Because when you confess, it, it, no it, it weakens whatever issue that was. It weakens 
It's power over your life. That's why God says, if we confess our sins with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. There's something powerful about speaking things, confessing things, prayer. God doesn't move in your behalf until you open up your mouth and begin to pray. He might know what you need from two weeks ago. He might know your situation, but God will not lift an eye, bat, he will not bat an eyelid until you open up your mouth. He will even allow his own people, the children of Israel, to be enslaved for hundreds of years until they begin to pray and their cries came up to the throne of God. Then only then did God set in motion uh, the wheels to bring deliverance to his children. Uh, let me remind you uh, what you speak, uh, what you pray. Uh, it has the ability to move all of heaven. And it's not until you pray. It's not until you open up your mouth. God begins to move. Shame is what we struggle with. I, I shared the story. I was about 10, 11 years old, and uh, I, I was in this school play in this school in Singapore that I was, I was about 10, 11 years old. I'll never forget this all my life. It just had such a profound effect on me. And uh, I, I was one of the actors in the, in the play, right? I was, I was this breakdancing bookworm. <laughs> it was an adaptation of Jack and the Beanstalk. Uh, and so a friend of mine... His name is Gareth. I said, come over to my house. We'll go to my house, and then we'll go to the play that night. The first show was on that night. We go to my house some, some distance from the school, and uh, I get home, and my, my stepfather, you know, he had been drinking. He was just kind of abusive, and, and he said he wouldn't let us, he wouldn't let, take us to, to the school play. He says, no, you got to find your own way. So I said, my mom, can you take us? She goes, and my dad would not let her take it, and, you know, my dad was so messed up he he fought in the vietnam war that kind of messed him up psychologically and and so he said no you got to find your own way and we're like i'm like 11 years old i can't drive <laughs> so me and my friend we had to go catch public transport if you know anything about singapore in the peak hour it's really hard to find taxis so we had to wait for a bus but i think we missed the last bus or something like that we were living on the east east side and, and finally, we, somehow we, we, get to, we get there two hours late from when the play was supposed to start. The whole school was waiting for us because I was one of the, the guys that opened the, the show. They waited two hours till we got. This was the, the days before mobile phones. We can say, okay, you know, I'm on my way. I'll be there. They had no idea, but they waited two hours. I'm 11 years old. And when I walked to the school, walked in the school, Gareth's grandmother, she was visiting from Wales. She, she came up to me and she, she pointed her finger in my face. She said, how could you? How could you do this to Gareth? You should be ashamed of yourself. And I'm 11 years old. And I, 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 I was lost for words. I, words I didn't know what to say. I, it, it just, it hit me. Like I was, I was already stressed that I was late. But the words of, of a grown woman to an 11-year-old child. I have never, it, to me, I can recall that story as vivid as what I did this morning. Because it had such a profound, and the shame that filled my heart, the guilt that it, it set me on a course for the rest of my life.
that I would prove everybody wrong that I was a success. I was driven by this desire to get validation for who I am, for my importance. I wanted to show the world I was valuable, and so I would press on to succeed in whatever field that I could, except for French. I could never do French very well. But, but I would press to be as successful as I could, amen, because I wanted to prove to the world that I needed to get rid of this shame that I was not good enough, that I was a loser, that I was a failure. I took those woman's words and I, I never forgot it until I began, I came to God, until I came to this church, to your church, and you told me that I could be set free. And those same words that was preached to me, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Holy Spirit of God. And I have to to remind myself every day amen that I don't have to earn his salvation that I don't have to be a people pleaser all of my life that I'm not doing this to earn it but he said I love you I love you before you were in your mother's womb I already called you I love you and called you out for myself I've come to tell you here today you've got to battle those thoughts you don't have to earn your way you are already accepted you are are already valuable in the eyes of God you are his son his daughter already you are a winner you are victorious hallelujah glory to God and so here this is how you break the power of shame it's by confession I don't think you could ever get to a stage where you don't need to confess. If, if you've conquered every sin, that's wonderful. That means you just simply confess my need for you every day, Jesus. I need God every day of my life. There's never a point where I think, hey, I made it now. Look at me. I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. I've arrived. No. Every day I come to my knees and say, God, I can't do this. I don't want to just play church. I don't want to just do religious service. I want to know you more. I want to fall in love with you every day. Hear me today. You got to understand that his love for you is unmatched. It's from everlasting to everlasting. Its mercies are new every morning hallelujah and so your soul is so as soon as you're saved you are accepted you are you are saved you are loved it's a matter of getting your mind disciplined to catching up to your status as pure and holy because we still have stinking thinking. And you know, I got this thing from Singapore from Pastor Tim. It's called 40 Days of Fasting from Wrong Thinking. And now we want to give it to you. So we're going to email it to everybody. If we don't have your email address, give it to us. 40 Days, it's a devotional. You read it every day. It's of how to fast. Not from food. Everybody say thank God for that. <laughs> but fast from wrong thinking. Because we are where we are today because of our thoughts. Sometimes those thoughts are negative, like shame. And you've got to fight to battle those thoughts until it becomes no longer a bondage or a stronghold in your life. Amen. Praise God. So you got to 
You've got to confess. And secondly, that's why we, we have to get together. Because when you are around people who have a particular mindset, you're going to keep thinking that way. That's why I, I, I couldn't really live for God for very long. You're looking at somebody who was not very strong. I was very weak. I, I was only in church for a couple of months before I went out again. My back slid. You know, I, I prayed this really silly prayer. You know, God, give me a girlfriend. And the devil answered that prayer. You know my story. Got me a girl who had no intentions of living for God. And so I was out, and then I found myself back because I almost died. Uh, that's the only way I was coming back. I always thought in the year that I left, I said, well, I tried Christianity. It's not for me. You know, it took death knocking on my door for me to get serious with God. I had OD from drugs. I was hearing things. I was having a psychotic episode, hearing voices. I was sitting at a party, and I'm sorry to be graphic here, but I just want you to, to know exactly how serious it was. I was sitting at a party thinking I want to go to the kitchen and grab a knife because my friends want to jump me. I want to stab them. That's the only thought that was going through my mind. I was just from so much drugs. And I knew that when I, when then I had this, epi this episode where I almost died and I came back to church. The only way, I said, I, said, I, need, I think I'm going to die. I told my brother-in-law, I need to get my sins washed away. I was never baptized. Came back to church Wednesday night, I was baptized, washed away my sins. And, and you know what happened? I, I, said, I realized, I knew that if I'm going to make it as a Christian, if I'm going to get to heaven, I have to literally transplant my life from the world from my circle of friends who I loved and they loved me but they were not going to help me get to heaven I had to literally separate myself and 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 start hanging around Christian people who were not perfect but they had a mindset that they were going to follow God and I had to surround myself with those people that taught me hey we can make it we can struggle through this thing together we can pray through this thing together amen you don't have to think the same way I I gathered or my surrounded myself with people who would pray for me I surrounded myself with people who would share the word of God to me and say come on we don't have to get drunk to have a good time you don't have to go to a party you don't have to go to a pub or a club where there was drugs and all kinds of immorality to have a good time I found joy can I tell you I'm testifying to you today I found a joy unspeakable and fullness of glory better than all of the parties of the world there's nothing that can compare to this and guess what when I wake up tomorrow morning I'm not going to have a hangover when I get up tomorrow I'm not going to be living with regret for what I did the night before but I am joyous and filled glory to God that's how you you overcome this mindset Romans 12 tells us be not conformed to this world there is something that the, the Paul says we are not to be conformed to and if you don't know what that is, then it's most likely you are being conformed to the world. There's something that we have to stay away from. There's some things that we can't be doing. And then it says, be transformed. How, how do we transform? Metamorphosis, that word in the Greek, metamorphosis, which is the, 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 the metamorphosis of a caterpillar to a butterfly. You become a whole new creature. 
Amen. You, it's, it's as if your, your, your status is completely changed. It says you are transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Can I tell you, it doesn't happen by accident, but by intentional, deliberate, uh, incorporating in your mind the word of God. That you keep telling yourself, not what, how you see yourself, but you've got to read the Bible and know how God looks at you. That when he sees you, he's not there saying, oh, I'm going to connect condemn her I'm gonna make life hard for him because he's no good dirty rotten scoundrel no he says when he thinks about us he says it's with an expected end he thinks about how he can prosper us the Bible says he delights in the prosperity he gets happy when we are blessed when we are prosperous Oh, hallelujah. That's why I love traveling. When I travel, I come home and give my little boy a present. I always give him a little gift. And my little boy, he's sick. You know, when I came home yesterday, he was cooked. He was on the lounge. He had a snotty nose. He was like this. But then when I came through the door and I had a little plastic bag and all of a sudden his smile, he goes, oh, no matter how sick he is, his love language is gifts. And he's just so happy. You know something? If somebody was happier than him, his father I was happier just to see him put a smile on his face can I tell you your God wants to do the same when he wants you to be happy he wants you to be blessed he wants he delights he gets happy when you're happy hallelujah So you got to get his thoughts, and, and you literally have to be that intentional that when I'm in my walk with God, I've struggled with, with my sense of self-worth, with my self-esteem. That's my overwhelming feeling. Even after I got the Holy Ghost, my overwhelming feeling is I'm not good enough. And, and I, I became a people pleaser. And in my Christianity, God started to change me throughout my, my 20s. I tell you, my 20s was a blur. Doesn't that feel like that, all you old middle-aged folks? Your 20s was a blur. Your 30s was just work. Now your 40s, everything's starting to hurt. Your body starts to ache. Man, I used to play tennis for hours and wouldn't feel it. Now I play tennis for half an hour. I'm like, oh, the next day, I'm like, oh. You remember, Brother Freddie, you baptized me in Jesus' name. You remember that? It was Wednesday night. I was 19, 20 years old. And I had to struggle along with who I was. And it had to be as intentional as reading the Bible and telling myself what God says. He, say, he says that I am the apple of his eye. And some days I just don't feel that way. Some days my heart, I'm filled with, with all these kinds of emotions. Those, those thoughts of that grandmother come flooding back. The thoughts of my stepfather come flooding back and, and help pushing me again to, to make me validate myself. And I literally have to take the word and speak to myself. I said, no, here's what the Bible says. And God reminded me. He said, you are the apple of my eye. That whenever the devil tries to touch you, he's like touching my eye he's like touching my pupil he said that's not gonna happen I'm not gonna let anything happen to you in other words God was reassuring me that no matter what I did of whether I failed or I succeeded I was still accepted I was still loved
and this is so important for us to understand because we, we have this idea of holiness and sanctification. Like, like we're trying to earn something. We're trying to please or conform to church rules. It's not about that. But it's about a love that God gave us. I don't go to the mission fields because, because i got to please the church, the, the executive board, or the, you know, my, my elder or my pastor. We do it because he first loved us. This was the difference between Peter and John. Is that Peter, Peter loved the Lord. He says, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll, you know, he even chops people's ears off for him. I, I love you. The difference between Peter and John is Peter knew his love for God. But John, you read the book of John, he wrote it. He always referred to himself as the beloved. Is that John knew that God loved him. There's a difference. It's when you come to understand God loves you. He loves us. Today, as you come to impart those thoughts of God's word in your heart and your mind, it will break the power of guilt and shame. When you confess who you are, be completely open and honest. There's such power in confession. Don't, don't be like Adam. Say, oh, you know, the woman that you gave me, pass the buck. Blame the blame game. Blame somebody else. I knew some folks, they, they, they couldn't take responsibility for anything. Uh, you know, they, they tried to, to, to pass the buck, pass the blame to somebody else, and they were just trying to be like Teflon, you know, just duck and weave, said, ooh, no, you're not getting me with that one. Not realizing that when you take responsibility, it is not an admission that you as a person is essentially bad, but it's simply an admission that you made mistake, but I'm still loved. I'm still valuable to God. Is there anybody in here today? Hallelujah. That you know that God wants to set you free from the, 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 the hostage of guilt and shame. This morning, I want you to know that God wants to set you free. He wants to liberate you and cause you to begin to walk in a new dimension, in a new light with a fresh understanding from God. Hallelujah. As musicians would come. Would you lift your voices right now? We'll lift your hands to the Lord and give Him praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. They hid themselves. They tried to compensate for their shame by covering up. Romans 10 and 11, the Bible says, whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. You are not who you are because of what, what somebody said about you all those years ago or what the world says about you. You have absolutely nothing to be shamed about. Whatever sin you've committed, it is under the blood of Jesus when the moment you stepped into the water and being baptized. Sure, we can remember it. But know that your God doesn't hold it to your account. That's the whole reason why Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood for your guilt, for your shame. Hallelujah. In verse 4, in chapter 4, verse 10 in 1 John, here's what John says. 
Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, propitiation for our sins. To be the, the payment, the substitute payment for our sins. It's not about how much you can love God. Here it is. Because our love falls short sometimes. But he says here is, is love. That God loves us. He knew you are going to fail. And he knows you will fail. But you are not a failure. We've got to be careful with our language, with how we speak to our kids. If they mess up, don't tell them that they're losers or idiots. Identify what happened. That they made a mistake. They were disobedient. They disobeyed. But they are not. You've got to be careful with how you identify them to themselves because they are likely to believe it. Don't say, oh, you're such an idiot. No, what they did was idiotic, yes, but they are not an idiot. There's a subtle difference. But sometimes that subtle difference makes a big impact. Would you stand to your feet this morning, this afternoon, rather? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. He said, I love you. To his disciples. He told Peter, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Three times. He's wanting Peter to understand that it's not about your love. It's about his. And he calls us to simply obey. I've got to stop, but the Lord is working in somebody's heart. I'm sorry for taking so long this morning. But I want to open up this altar, invite you to come and bring before this altar to your God, your heart, your spirit, your mind. Just simply surrender your will to Him. Say, Lord, I give you the guilt. And when you confess, there's a freedom that comes. There's a forgiveness that begins to flow. Maybe it's unforgiveness towards somebody. Maybe it's, it's doubt, it's question. But maybe it's, it's shame that you struggle with that your self-worth that somehow you continue to to believe the lie that that uh, you're, you're you're not worthy enough that you're not valued today i want you to lay it at this altar this day and receive from your god the acceptance and love forgiveness and grace that is due to all of his people this morning why don't you respond right now to god Today, why don't you give your heart to Him and surrender your will and say, God, I repent of all of my sins. I give it all to you, my weaknesses, my failings, all of this. I've allowed the lies of the enemy to, to dictate to me how I'm going to live. I've allowed these lies. It didn't originate from you. It originated from the enemy. It originated from a world of sin. Today, I'm receiving forgiveness. I'm receiving your grace. Hallelujah. This altar is open. Why don't you come wherever you are? Talk to the Lord for the next several minutes right now. Confess your heart. Confess your soul. Confess whatever it is that you've struggled with in your heart and in your mind. And 
now receive his mercy and his grace to forgive.